0: The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the host and guests, and do not necessarily represent those of any organization, including one generation away. America, it was free. Freedom of speech freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare. This is Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides, a production of LibertyNation.com, going after what the politicians really mean and making it all clear for your freedom
2: and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. Political winds blow both fair and foul, and it's often timing that determines success or failure. Just one of the themes on today's action-packed edition welcome back to liberty nation radio here on the radio america network i'm your host mark angelides On today's show, we're examining Kevin McCarthy's hopes for the speakership, Sam Bankman-Fried's Democrat donations, and a whole lot more. I want to take a moment to say a special thank you to our listeners out in Hastings, Michigan on WBCH, 1220 AM and 93.1 FM. Thank you for being here. Remember, this show is proudly sponsored by Libertynation.com. You can access podcasts, breaking news, analysis, and a range of biting and brilliant shows to whet your appetite for freedom and your fondness for the great American Constitution. As current Minority House Leader Kevin McCarthy attempts to seize the Speaker top spot, a razor-thin majority and some significant holdouts could imperil his hopes and dreams of becoming Nancy Pelosi 2.0. Now, we're joined by longtime host of this here Liberty Nation radio show and Liberty Nation's senior political analyst, Mr. Tim Donner, to see if the pathway still holds for McCarthy and what pitfalls lie ahead. Thanks for coming in, Tim. Always a pleasure, Mark. So tell me, is Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy, is it a done deal or not? It's
3: not a done deal yet, although the alternative seems to be unspeakable because there's no viable opponent for him uh, to run for Speaker within the Republican caucus. Uh, So he's going to have to satisfy... The demands of the most conservative members of the House uh, in order to get their votes, which he needs. He needs 218 and he's only got 221 uh, members uh, who can vote. So, you know, it seemed if there was one thing that seemed clear, Mark, about the election ahead of time, was that if the Republicans won the House, Kevin McCarthy would certainly be Speaker. And even that certainty is not, is not inevitable now because he is being blamed for the midterm. Well, some are calling it a meltdown, but at least the disappointment of winning a mere nine seats when he was supposed to win 20 to 30, he's being blamed for that. There's questions about his leadership. There's questions about uh, his ability to herd the cats. Uh, like Nancy Pelosi has, I mean, Nancy Pelosi, uh, give her credit for knowing how to twist arms. McCarthy yeah. has never demonstrated that skill. So there's a lot, a lot of enduring questions
2: about kevin mccarthy well let, let's discuss those holdouts it, it, within the republican party uh, the republicans who are standing in kevin mccarthy's way um obviously they're they're proposing i believe or they're they're supporting there's four or five of them they're supporting uh, representative andy biggs i believe but they're asking for certain concessions uh in order to support mccarthy and what are, are those concessions what do they what leverage do they want to apply well
3: the Probably the primary demand which McCarthy should be able to meet is more members of the freedom caucus on the rules the house rules committee Mm. Because that's a very powerful committee of course now. There's 41 people in the freedom caucus And you know that represents a good 20 percent of the entire republican caucus Uh, they've also you know, they want more of their members on there. They also want, which something that seems to be entirely reasonable, 72 hours to read the text of a bill before I wanted they're
2: to, forced to vote on it. I wanted to delve into this particular one, Tim, because I, I read that in your, your recent article on LibertyNation.com, which, uh, the sponsor of this show, which uh, details the the, the the trials and tribulations of Kevin McCarthy. Uh, and 72 hours to to read a bill. As you say, that is not unreasonable, especially seeing as these, some of these bills are hundreds, if not thousands of pages long. It should be,
3: it should be longer than 72 hours. I think the reason leadership doesn't want it to be any longer is because the more someone reads and the longer they take, the more objections mount and that makes it difficult for the leader
2: I mean, another way to look at that, Tim, is the the, the more you read, the more you know. And, and it's uh, entirely great. possible to – I mean, we've seen it, haven't we, stuffing pork into all these bills. If people don't get to read the bills, well, then you can used stuff in what you want.
3: It used to be shocking to people that Nancy Pelosi would say about Obamacare. We have to pass the bill to find out what's mm. in the bill. That, that was shocking at first. Now it's become, you know, a fact of life. Everybody it, it's a shocking members fact of Congress life. don't read yeah. the legislation that they're expected to vote on. I mean, how many times do you sign a contract that you don't know what's in it? Well, frankly, all of us do. Terms yeah. and, conditions, terms and terms terms conditions and conditions of every you know kind of purchase that we make or online service the difference is this stuff goes into the law of the land and there needs to be look the process isn't was never designed to be expeditious it was designed to be deliberate yeah. it was designed to have major changes in the structure of the country the government happen slowly and deliberately with great consensus I think the bottom line is that essentially the Freedom Caucus wants to run the Republican Caucus, and they have the numbers to do it. There's 41 members in that caucus, and they hold tremendous weight with a teetering figure like Kevin McCarthy, who's working with a tiny majority, and they know and of course, it's good politics to use your leverage mm. when you have it. If they had won, if the Republicans had won, say, 25, 30 seats, McCarthy uh, would be in a much stronger position to dictate the terms of his speakership. But under current circumstances, when he's largely blamed with his commitment to America that fell flat with the fact that only nine seats were flipped he's not in a
2: position of strength. Isn't there a, a small but significant risk that Democrats could seize the speakership? I think most people
3: are not aware of the fact that to be Speaker of the House, you don't have to be a member of the majority party. Mm. You don't even have to be a member of Congress. I mean, they could pick you to be Speaker of the House, Mark. Uh, And and here begins my
2: campaign, Tim. But they could make me or
3: anybody the Speaker of the House because Mm. the Constitution Mm. specifies that the House will elect its leaders. But it doesn't say it has to be from the majority and it has to be from the lower chamber or the upper chamber or anything else. So, of course, the Democrats are enjoying this greatly this cleavage that is developing in the uh, Republican Party. So they've gone as far as to say, hey, we we would vote for Liz Cheney if you want to bring her (laughs) forward, because that really gets in the craw of Republicans. Now, you know, the problem is, though, they can joke about that. But if they can't get 218 votes for McCarthy, then the Democrats, by necessity, get involved in the selection Mm. of the speaker because it's a speaker of the entire house, not Not just the the majority party. So everybody gets to vote ordinarily. Both parties present a candidate and the one from the majority party almost always wins in this case, though, throw out the rules because uh, Democrats are going to exploit perhaps the most vulnerable speaker of this century, Mm. uh, I think, because he doesn't have the policy bona fides uh, of a guy like Paul Ryan, nor the arm-twisting skills of Nancy Pelosi, nor a definable ideology that sort
2: of attracts uh, support strictly for his beliefs. So anybody's game to go. Tim Donner, thanks ever so much for joining us, and we'll be back with Tim Donner right after this short break, talking good news for the Senate GOP in 2024. Don't go anywhere. For your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. The 2022 midterms are behind us, and it was far from the sweeping victory that Republicans had counted upon. However, things may not be so bleak for the Senate GOP when 2024 rolls around. Now we're back with Liberty Nation senior political analyst, Tim Donner, figuring out how the odds might just be in the Republicans' favor. Tim, how many Senate seats are up in 2024? And how many is the split between the parties? Well, in any given federal
3: election year, uh, a third of the Senate is up 33 seats. 33,
2: 33 34, yeah.
3: Exactly, 33 or 34, and then there's some special elections thrown in, but it's essentially a third of the Senate. And, of course, you're a slave to whatever the circumstances happened to be in that year and how they changed from six years before when those same seats were up and two years before when the environment might have changed which Mm. which it has but let me just put it starkly mark if the republicans cannot win the senate in 2024 i don't know how they can ever win it because of the 33 seats up in 2024 23 of those are being defended by democrats 10 by Republicans, and among the Democratic seats that are up are three in deep red territory, Joe Manchin in West Virginia, John Tester in Montana. They're both moderates, but they're Democrats. And then there's Sherrod Brown in Ohio, who's a dyed-in-the-wool liberal leftist in what has become Ohio, a very, very red state. Plus, On top of that, Mark, you've got five uh, seats that are held by Democrats in battleground states that Joe Biden won by less than three points. In other words, they're pretty much (laughs) toss-ups. On top of that, of the 10 Republican seats up, none of them are seriously vulnerable. So even with a one-seat deficit going into the 2024 election, the Republicans should be able to garner at least a pickup of three or four seats. If they can, I think it would be a political malpractice.
2: Yeah, although yeah, we had similar discussions in the in the run-up to the 2022 midterms as well, yes. and things that have a way of yes. surprising you. Now, you say that they, they should be able to pick up three or four seats, and I think that's a very fair assessment, three to four seats, giving them the majority, just about. Um, but it seems to me that uh, America has really become used to, a very small very slim majorities in the senate yes now is this really as new as it seems to me it's it's just because
3: of the circumstances that happened to fall on 2024 with these seats i mean uh, for example arizona six years ago was clearly republican now it's more purple michigan went Red in 2016, but blue in twenty twenty. Wisconsin Senate seat will be up, and you really have to call that a toss up state. Joe Biden won it by a skinny twenty thousand votes in twenty twenty. So you've got you know, if the Republicans just win the three seats in deep red states. Mm-hmm they'll have a two-seat majority. And if they can pick off one or two of the five seats that are in narrow blue territory, or purple, really, then they should have a bigger Senate majority than any time in, I think, 10 years. But, of course, as you said, things change a lot in two years, but the numbers are overwhelmingly in favor of the GOP or the Senate in 2024.
2: So, uh, obviously, who will be on the presidential tickets for each party? I mean, thats I, I think that's one of the biggest questions in politics today. Uh, and it's a very much an unknown one. We can speculate till the cows come home, as we say here in the, 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 the rural UK. But do you think that the final candidates, whoever, whoever they may be, will impact this Inbuilt numbers advantage. Certainly. If you have, for example, Donald
3: Trump as the nominee, that presents one set of circumstances. If you have a Ron DeSantis or a Glenn Youngkin or a Tim Scott or a Mike Pompeo, all of whom have designs on running, if not in 24, certainly in 28. Top of the ticket matters, yes. And that could make the difference in a couple of close Senate races in swing states. Uh, I think the big question about the presidential race at this point is not whether those guys that I just mentioned want to get in, but whether the fact that Donald Trump being in will scare them off, because they know their brand is going to be significantly tarnished because Trump will decimate them in a primary not necessarily at the ballot box but certainly verbally he will try to take them all down and discredit all of them so they have to decide for particularly DeSantis, you know whose star is clearly markedly on the rise does he want to cash in and exploit that while his star is way up high in the sky or does he fear his brand being diminished so badly by running against trump that he's damaged
2: for the future that to me is a question now uh, an ancillary to that would be joe biden and kamala harris now surely with i mean we're looking at uh, latest estimates suggest that there'll be five million plus uh, illegal migrants crossing the border this coming year already uh, for the fiscal year 2023 which has only been going just over two months at the time of recording Um, Starting in October, there's been half a million illegal border crossings uh, and no end in sight to that. And that's just one of a multitude of crises that are consuming this administration. Do you think that Biden and Harris on the ticket will have the same combustible impact that Donald Trump on the ticket on the other side would have?
3: No, uh, because Joe Biden... Uh, for all that Republicans dislike or even revile him. He doesn't stir the kind of hatred Mm. that a Trump or an Obama or a Clinton or a Bush seem to engender. So he's just, you know, the Democrats kind of are sorry that he's as addled as he is. The Republicans think he's just you know, a tool for the far left. But I can tell you this much right now, this uh, midterm election has emboldened Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. He is interpreting it as uh, basically a mandate for his continuing the type of leadership that he's had, which is, you know, well to the left of center. Uh, So he looks like, you know, barring Uh, medical circumstances, I now guess that he he definitely will run in 2024. He will act as a statesman, stay home, and let the rest of the party go out and... (laughs) protect and defend him as he runs for re-election. I I really believe that's going to happen now that, A, Kamala Harris is not electable, and B, Gavin Newsom, the most realistic challenger, has said he's not going to run. Even he said he wouldn't run under any circumstances, though I suspect that would change
2: if Biden changes his mind and Uh, says he's not going to run. Continuing with our theme, circumstances always change. Tim Donner, thanks you ever so much for being with us. Delight to be here, Mark.
0: America was free: freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise. And freedom is special and rare. This is Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides, a production of LibertyNation.com, going after what the politicians really mean and making it all clear for
2: your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. FTX founder Samuel Bankman-Fried has been arrested and detained in the Bahamas. He's facing a bevy of charges that some suggest rival the fallout from the Enron debacle. But what happened to all that cash? And will political recipients of his generous donations hand it back? Well, we're joined by Liberty Nation's legal affairs editor, man about town and host of The Uprising podcast, Mr. Scott D. to figure it all out.
1: Welcome back, Scott and chief appreciator of the british pronunciation of sam bankman frieds uh name and how did i say it fried fried, fried? as in eggs yes oh as mm-hmm. in how it's spelled okay okay that's uh, right forget- no that's <laughs> yeah. that's
2: why i appreciate it absolutely well, my, my guess would be that uh that there is a uk television uh character on a show called hyacinth bucket uh and she uh insists that her name is pronounced bouquet and so i'm suspecting that mr bankman freed is doing uh precisely the same thing so scott what charges is sbf facing
1: uh well he's in bahamian custody now uh pursuant to uh their treaty obligation to enforce a u.s uh arrest warrant basically what happened was the uh U.S. attorney's office uh, in Manhattan went to uh, a grand jury, got indictments, uh, sealed indictments, and an arrest warrant. They sent it down to the Bahamas uh, pursuant to our treaty obligations. They arrested him, and he's in custody there. He's charged with at least half a dozen, uh, I think uh, certainly more than that, different types of fraud charges. Um, <clears throat> along with that, there's a money laundering charge and then a election uh, campaign finance law violation uh, charges as well well you know that was really the the piece
2: that stood out to me was uh, about the the political donations because this was in the
1: sec filing uh as, as well and and that so uh, for people who don't know let's the explain the securities that bit, and yeah. exchange commission also filed civil charges against mm-hmm. mr bankman freed hoping to recover you know a lot of the money that uh that he stole okay so
2: here's the thing i want to delve into a little bit about how this works so uh, SBF or Bankman Freed, um, he took money into his company from various investors uh, and then he, uh, without going too deep into the weeds, he swapped he, it between- I, I think two. maybe I
1: can do it a, a little bit quicker. Sure, I, I, I want more. to get to
2: a specific point, Scott. Okay. Uh, and so he swapped money between two companies, FTX and Almeida. Uh, but then he took large chunks of this money and he donated it
1: to politicians. Yes or no? Oh, yes. okay. 40 million now, in, the, in the most recent cycle that, that, that we're told. Could you tell me that number again? I think it's 40 million in the most recent million. cycle. Called the okay. second largest donor to Democrats, so only behind George Soros. In the most recent cycle. In yep. the cycle before that, he was the second largest donor, second only to uh, Michael Bloomberg. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Wasn't Michael Bloomberg running in the last... And also a major donation <laughs> oh, there you
2: go, yeah, so this money that he 's donated this is essentially people 's savings or people 's investment funds, individuals, and he 's taken it, and he 's given it to politicians now uh do you know the breakdown between which parties that these funds benefited because i'm reasonably sure that it was all to the left right or, or majority to the not left. all
1: but but certainly the lion's share better minds than i will break it break it down with specificity but it's uh it, it, it's not close and the republicans he did give to are like mitt romney and uh, susan collins like they're not exactly the <laughs> you know
2: they're, they're not make america great again politicians <laughs> they're, yeah, they're, no, they're, definitely they're, not that make
1: Mormonism yeah. great again. But there are, uh, there are enough Republicans to say that it was, you know, it wasn't just one. You know, there were a fair number of Republicans that he gave to as well. He's also claimed, by the way, without substantiation, to be the second largest donor to Republican election committees as well, but that he did so in a concealed fashion, which is, of course, itself illegal so these funds
2: scott that went out to politicians um are they under any legal obligation to return them from their campaign coffers or from their personal bank accounts
1: oh well they're definitely not from they didn't personally accept anything so they wouldn't be personally liable for for returning anything we're talking about campaign and campaign committees and the answer is i don't think so i can't say for sure uh yet mark i'm still looking into uh, you know, some people uh, who've written on this who are election law experts. And I have a kind of general expertise in some things, but but not election law, which has its own sort of particular band of uh, of law. So, but but initial, you know, it, it, the initial wave seems to suggest that, no, it's not. The U.S. attorney uh, asked for voluntary, uh, you know, returns of these contributions, which is a kind of a laugh line, but actually, you know, a politician is definitely, you know, uh, susceptible to- uh, they, they live pressure. and die by, uh, by, by <laughs> yeah. public approval, right? Yeah, exactly. And so uh, we've seen some already uh, return them, not uh, generally to the the trustee who's in charge of this, the, the company is in bankruptcy, the FTX exchange, which is where these customer funds were located, legally located. I mean, I know the money migrated to sure. wherever he stole it to, but- um, and that's where the proper place to return it to. We've seen a um, uh, number of politicians who've written checks to various charities for amounts that mirror the amount they've gotten from SPS. But SBS. That, 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 Scott, to me, that
2: seems just a, a further kick in the face, right, to the people well, who are sitting their there.
1: Can you imagine me one of those politicians' constituents having had a deposit <laughs> at FTX that has been stolen, and that guy got some of the money, and instead of giving it back to the fund – he gives it to you know save the trees, which of course buoy's his. That's the other thing sure. too. It's not just that that he he doesn't have the funds. They gave it in a way that buoy's their own political uh, political. And, and, and let, let's
2: but, let's be clear here: these are Democrat politicians uh, for the most part.
1: So well, we have seen some Republicans give back. By the way, in in defense uh, of him, Beto O'Rourke kicked back a one million dollar donation. That SBF gave, and it was before the criminal charges were uh, were announced. What so, did he know, uh, and when did he know it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, Scott. I think a lot of people are annoyed
2: at uh, Bankman-Fried's, let's call it large S, shall we? Because tens of millions. Well, it's uh, not, of dollars. it's not large
1: S, Mark. It's. Uh, I, I was uh, I was using it in a somewhat sardonic
2: it, tone yeah, there. Um, sure. Tens of millions of dollars. That impacts the outcome of elections. I mean, it it must, right? Otherwise people wouldn't be asking for donations for their campaign funds, right? So money impacts elections, otherwise no one would spend it. So you have people-
1: Money amplifies speech. That's that's the legal purpose it has for uh, in in elections.
2: So, So you have people who were elected and they were elected through the amplification of their speech with fraudulent funds.
1: How do you square that circle? Well, there's a middle part there that you've inserted. I don't know that they would agree with. You. you said they've been elected because of the amplification of their speech. So what you're saying is that without that donation, I'm saying that for there's that a possibility donation,
2: Mark, that they may not have been elected without that. The legal that
1: argument that you're money. making is, what we would say is, but for that donation, but for- they would not have been elected. And that's a taller tree to climb than just, hey, you shouldn't have taken that, or or it would be great if you know stolen money wasn't donated to your campaign. I don't think we can say... For any particular race at this time, without an SBF contribution, uh, that they would not have been successful. Of course, you know,
2: ten million dollars makes no difference in races that are decided by just a couple of thousand votes, Scott. You know that. I mean,
1: let's not talk to crazy say it to here. a Legal standard though, that, would, <laughs> that it would that it would, that it would implicate course. them in some sort of that. That's the the bar that I think you know we have to keep these things set. Sure, I, I agree, Scott. High.
2: Yeah. So, so, Scott, what's next for uh, Mister Bankman Bankman-Fried?
1: or bankman nope. fraud or fried i'm not sure which one <laughs> right, bankrupt fraud is uh, the best way to say it i think he is going to fight uh, extradition to the united states at least initially uh, it seems okay. like um he was denied bail and uh you know he's a, a man with if, if i may just uh, interject on that, still, scott if i may just
2: interject on that i believe one of the uh the reasons he put up to the judge to facilitate uh, him being allowed to be released on bail was that he
1: was a vegan, right? You know, I, I saw that on some social media, but I didn't see it in hard. I, I saw that in proper. I'll tell you the best, I'll tell you the best story that came out of the bail hearing from, from hard reporting. This is from Coindesk, who actually broke the story yeah. that sort of started the avalanche of this whole thing, which was uh, that the judge said, I've been thinking a lot about your, uh, you know, whether to grant you bail. And I'll tell you on an ordinary day, ask anyone, I never, I don't take a drink, but boy, Last night, I took a drink. that was the that was the judge in discussing his bail condition. so but he was held over until February. um now I assume that's just a placeholder um sure. for either you know, and well, I think we'll probably see some extradition hearings before that or uh maybe a waiver of his right to contest extradition. There's one kind of interesting uh feature of the extradition treaty that we have with uh, the Bahamas uh, I learned about uh, after his arrest, which was that. The prosecution cannot charge SBF with other crimes after he is extradited if they, do, if, if they want to. So in other words, they know what he did now, right? If, if, if they don't discover new facts that might justify new charges. So just on these facts, they can't pile on charges after they get him out of the, the Bahamas. That's part of the treaty. So they have to charge everything they want right up front, which is kind of- Could,
2: could that be to the benefit of Mr. Bankman Fried. Certainly, yeah, that certainly seems like it, right? So maybe any he flexibility
1: would, uh, that you take away from the prosecutor accrues to the benefit of the defense. I think
2: I would, uh, I would be on the lookout for uh, an acceptance of his uh, deportation, uh, maybe back to the United it's, States. It's
1: important to to recall mm-hmm. too that both of his parents are Stanford law professors, so presumably the top of the heap in terms of legal thinking, and uh, uh, we'll yeah. see what they. Uh, All right. Scott
2: D. thank you ever so much. We'll be right back with Scott after this short break discussing whether Twitter violated the First Amendment. Don't go anywhere.
0: For your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides
2: elon musk and his infamous twitter files have captivated the nation as the internal memos and messages detail what seems to be a bias against conservatives in general and president trump in particular most notably it appears that the company under previous ownership had regular meetings with federal officers now did this violate the first amendment clause of the constitution to figure that out we're joined again by mr scott d casenza to figure out the the legality the constitutionality and the likelihood of uh, what happened here. Scott, I have one question for
1: you. Did Twitter, under previous ownership, violate the First Amendment? So instead of uh, answering you yes or no, what I think I would I would suggest is that the question be uh, posited thusly. Did the government Twitter interaction violate the First Amendment rights of some people? And I think the answer to that question is yes. And the reason why I changed the question is Twitter is a private entity. I don't think they are uh, charged with upholding the first amendment. They don't have uh, the power to, they don't have a responsibility to
2: to adhere to it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The first amendment is a restriction on government action. The government will not violate the rights of the people in a certain manner. Now, did the government violate the rights of the people in colluding with social media to restrict their messages and, and, and dampen their speech? Well, it's a debatable point, but I think, yes, uh, it is the restriction. You know, if if I'm free to speak, there's, a, you know, there's something called a solicitation of trespass in the law, which is kind of interesting, Mark. Um, and in some places, this is a forbidden act. And what, it's, what it means is you'll often see where uh, these are kind of popular YouTube videos. Somebody's videotaping the police and they're doing mm-hmm. so from like a parking lot of a store. And the store owner doesn't has, hasn't complained about the person videotaping, but the cops don't want them there. So what they do is they go and they solicit from the store owner a trespass warning for the person so they can then order them off off the property and that's not a proper use for uh, you know the police because they're then frustrating that person's first amendment, right yes and if the and if the police ask Twitter, I think, to stop allowing the speech of citizen A or B because of the messaging that they don't like that messaging. Well, that seems to be a clear violation of the tenants of the First Amendment, even though they're not the ones that are actually, you know, flipping the switch to turn the, the account off or turn the, the mute button down on the, what do they call it? The the, the reach, I guess, of the uh, yes. of the postings. So I hope that satisfies. It is an interesting
2: answer, Scott. And I'm glad that you rephrased the question to something a little more specific there. Because if we look at, what happened was, uh, according to the Twitter files, and uh, as of now, we have no reason to uh, to disbelieve that the the messages posted within those Twitter files, reporting by Barry Weiss and Matt Taibbi, um, are, are fraudulent. Or as you know, the case with the uh, Hunter Biden laptop, nobody has yet accused
1: it of being uh, Russian disinformation. Oh, yeah, <laughs> the, no, there's and Schellenberger too, and it's all yeah. uh, it, it's all coming from. The inside, so I'm saying the veracity is is I mean you don't say beyond question, but th- there's no credible you know credible claim that this is anything other than the the goods here and so what you had was uh, a number of
2: government agencies approaching a private company and as you point out this uh invited trespass sort of thing uh, asking them to either shut down or limit the scope or the reach uh basically de-amplifying the voice of certain people and in some cases those people got banned and specifically we're talking here i think about banning was, was president donald trump now when he was banned i believe it was january 8th 2021 um you had a number of world leaders Angela merkel uh uh, Emmanuel Macron and uh, President uh, Labrador uh, of Mexico all expressed <clears throat> their uh, Manuel Obrador something of Mexico. I'm sorry, I, I do apologize, Mr. President, El Presidente. I have got your name wrong there. Um, but they all expressed a, a s- shock at uh, the, the fact that he'd be removed from the platform. Uh, and of course, the messages seem to sh- suggest that. They could find no good cause for removing Donald Trump, and yet removed him anyway. Now, would Twitter, the people involved, Mark, in that,
1: he's, he was Donald Trump. I mean, I, I don't understand what what you don't get about that. Orange, but it's, man, it's, as bad, they say, show, like, show
2: me the man, and I'll show like you the reason. crime. Right? Yeah. Um, so you're part of the problem. This, uh, I mean, people, I think everybody agrees this was a massive overreach. the The internal documents show they didn't have cause to remove Donald Trump
1: correct well do you mean the so what the internal documents show is that according to their own rules donald trump did not violate the rules uh in order to merit a suspension if his name wasn't donald trump but he was president of wherever is stan he would but have let's an say for example he today. was
2: president of iran and he called for the eradication of the jews in the jewish state just for example let's use that as an example That's some
1: cultural understanding mark you sound like a real uh, <laughs> because Insulated of course type. that tweet
2: wasn't removed by the <clears throat> way i might add from the ayatollah that that still stands
1: right what they what the people inside twitter said were that donald trump's statements could lead someone to perhaps commit violence and that therefore that was the it's not even a fig leaf it's a shadow of a ghost of a fig leaf uh, that they were going to cover themselves with to uh, to justify the uh the suspension of his account and they had never before pulled somebody's account forever uh for you know for anything i think short of an actual you know direct threat of violence so that's the other thing that it was an indefinite suspension it went directly against dorsey's commandment that you know suspension should have a fixed term and and
2: of course uh directly after the twitter ban came the the facebook bans the youtube shutdowns of people who were interviewing Donald Trump. Um, and I think it created a, a roller coaster. It was the, uh, was the straw that broke the, the censorship camels back and just allowed it all to collapse. So where does it go from here? Scott, where do we go? Where do, where, where does any, I mean, here's the thing, right? Who's to enforce this, who who's to figure out who's to blame, and who's to hold the government to account in this situation. If account is needed to be held, Who investigates it other than the people who were the ones who were going to Twitter and saying, hey, we think you should shut this guy down.
1: We know about it. It's a mess. And (laughs) it's ultimately up to the people to enforce it against the politicians. If they, you know, it's our job to report it and get the facts out and uh, for people to look into it. And it's, you know. The volume that we put behind it is because of the magnitude that we think the, the story has, the importance that it has. And uh, people have to decide what to do with the information. But it's not like there's an attorney general that's going to come in and, and prosecute somebody for this. Um, I, I thought you know, Merrick
2: Garland was uh, non-political. <laughs> yeah. you, you're, tell, you're telling uh, me that he working, might not investigate. He's working hard this.
1: on it, yeah, uh-huh. He'll speak to his friends at Twitter and then decide whether <laughs> to investigate, right? Somehow, some way, I'm confident of all the charges that might be brought. Those won't be included amongst them.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Scott, we will keep following this story, the the Twitter files, uh, the fallout from it, and any accountability that happens if it does. And you are right. It's all about uh, regular people amplifying their voices and demanding answers to satisfy their needs and wishes. Scott Casenza, thank you ever so much. Thanks, Mark. And that's about all we have time for on this week's edition of Liberty Nation Radio here on the Radio American Network. I'd like to thank our guests, Tim Donner and Scott Casenza, for joining the show. And of course, thank you, the listeners out there for tuning in. My parting shot this week is a simple quote from Thomas Paine who said, a body of men holding themselves accountable to nobody ought not to be trusted by anybody. And with all that's happening in government, social media, and indeed the world at large, that's good advice to live by. As Scott pointed out earlier in the show, real accountability rarely comes at the hand of the government or the corporation who have their own vested interest in either obfuscating the facts or maintaining the status quo. It comes from you and I, all of us, the people. Thanks for listening.